Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. It's from Luke 14, 15 to 24. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I am on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant to go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is the word of God. Morning. How y'all doing? Great. We got great in the front, some good in the back. I don't even know if there's the back row. I see you up there. Excellent, excellent. Uh, that song, Riding the Wave, was awesome. I don't know about you, but like, I was looking around, and some of you were really into it, and some of you weren't at all into it, but I think you were taking notes. And I know the next wedding that we all go to, you're going to be on the dance floor, you're going to be like, you're going to be dropping all those moves and everything. And I'm gonna be like, uh-huh, uh-huh, you weren't doing it, but now you stole those moves and you're using them. I know. So anyways, your secret is safe with me. But it's great to be with you. My name is Mark, and uh, I actually pastor a church called Connection, uh, about 15-minute drive from here, and your pastor, Vijay, is there right now as we speak, and, uh, and I just want to take a moment and just say thank you. Thank you so much as a congregation. Uh, you have no idea how much of a help you have been uh, in the last few months. Uh, some of you know, VJ actually uh, informed you guys that I had uh, an accident uh, about two months ago, and I, I hurt my back pretty badly. In fact, I was in a wheelchair and couldn't walk for about six weeks. We had a newborn. I, my wife was basically taking care of a newborn and me. It was, it was really bad, and, uh, and the really cool thing was when VJ found out what was going on, he, he called me, and he's like, hey, and it wasn't, what are you going to do about this, right? Like, what are you going to do? You can't speak. You're stuck on the floor. You know, I, I you know, would go around with a mat everywhere. The first thing he said was, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? And I just thought it was such a beautiful picture that as a church, we actually care about each other. And so he's like, you know what I could do, Mark? He's like, this weekend I'm preaching, and then I could just race across the city, and I could preach a connection. I'll show up. It'll be like mid-worship, and then I'll go up, and I'll preach, and then you could actually film me preaching, so then you can use that the next time I'm not able to make it because I'll be away. It was just like I- incredible. So it was just such an incredible help to our church in this time that was such a struggle, and he shared with me as well that uh, you guys were praying for me, and so my wife and I are just so incredibly grateful that uh, two months later I'm walking again and in rehab and getting better. And so uh, thank you as a community and praise God just for all that he's been doing. We're just uh, incredibly thankful and grateful for your generosity and your spirit uh, of kindness in this, uh, in this season. Uh, it's, it's great to be with you here today. You guys have been in a series called uh, the parable, uh, 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 a series on parables. And uh, we as Connection also have been in a series on parables. And so today's the last part, and we're looking at a parable called The Great Banquet. Now, if you're just kind of coming on the journey today, it's it's your first time, uh, you're wondering, like, what is a parable? 
And a parable is a story that Jesus told in the scriptures that wasn't true, but it was to point to something else, or it was to bring up an idea to reorientate the way that people thought about a certain idea. So Jesus, he'd, he'd kind of come into a situation, he'd be like, oh, you guys, you know, you kind of got it twisted. So let me tell a story that's going to twist your mind a little bit, and I'm going to reorientate the way that you see things. So whenever you start a parable, think, Jesus is probably going to reorientate the way I think about something. And so uh, today we're talking a, a, about a parable that is kind of ridiculous. In fact, when you read it, you're going to, in a few minutes when we get to it, you're going to be like, that is so strange. Why would anyone tell that story? And so to start, I want to tell you a really strange story as well, just to kind of get in the mood. So uh, a few years ago, I had a crush. Have you ever had a crush? Yes. Okay. We got front row had a crush. Excellent. Anybody else in the audience? Nobody else. Okay. Few, few. Thank you. Thank you. You guys got to get really interactive today. Okay. We're going to interact a lot. Okay. So if you had a crush, uh, you can resonate with this. I was in grade 11 and there was this girl in youth group that I was in love with. Okay. Like, and so we would message each other on MSN. Anybody know what MSN is? Yeah, okay, somehow that, like, yeah, 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 we know MSN. Okay, excellent. So we'd message each other on MSN. If you're like, like, what's MSN? You're too young for that, and I'm not going to tell you all the things about it because you're going to be like, man, you're so old. So I'll basically tell you this. You know LOL? That pretty much got invented on MSN, okay? That's, that's MSN. And so it was this basically, it was a social media where you could chat with all your friends. You'd open up different windows, kind of like Facebook chat. That's what MSN was. And, uh, and so I was chatting with this girl who I thought, like, man, I'm going to marry her one day. She doesn't even know I like her, but I'm going to marry her for sure, right? And so we're chatting, we're chatting, we're chatting. And then, and then she drops one of these short forms. Remember the short forms that you would use? So remember, let, let's just do a little test. POS, remember POS? No. Okay, let me tell you this one. That one was parent over shoulder, okay? So like, if you said that, then your friends were like, like stop writing whatever we were talking about because you know what your parents said. I know, I don't take note on this, okay? I'm just, I'm just informing you, okay? <laughs> Kids, no, no. Okay, so, so then, then she drops another one of these short forms. Maybe you know this one, BRB. Okay, what does BRB mean? Be right back. So I'm like, okay, right, the love of my life will be right back. I'll wait a minute. So, and then, and then it's like, she's typing a message. It tells you they were typing a message. That's how MSN worked. And so she's, she's typing a message. I'm like, wow, she was right back. And this is the message. I kid you not. This is, this is the message, okay? Mark, I have something to tell you. I love you. I was, I was so excited. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Do I like profess my love back? Do I propose? I'm in grade 11. Like, like how do I respond to this message? Like, what, what would you do, right? So, so I'm like messaging all my friends and I'm panicking. I'm like, man, this is, this is important. Like, how do I respond to this? I mean, we could tell our grandkids this story, right? Like, like this is going to go down in the history books. It's going to be, it's going to be printed out in scrapbook. Like, this is an important thing and I can't mess around with how I respond to this. And the reality is, is in this moment, I'm tripping out over something that's very silly and yet it resonates with us because it underlines a principle that we all know in life, and it's very simply this. How we respond impacts our life. How we respond impacts our life. How we respond impacts our life. If you pause and you reflect on your life, you can find tons of instances where you have things in your life where you responded in a certain way, and you see the trajectory that it sent your life on. And you, you look back on things and you say, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that I responded in that way. And there's other times where this is the thing that you say over and over again. What in the world was I thinking? What in the world got into me? I wish I could go back and respond differently. Have you ever said any of those statements before? Of course you have, because we've all responded in ways and looked back on it hours, days, or years later and said, I wish I had responded differently. And so in that moment, I'm having this panic, and I'm like, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? Because if I don't respond, it says something. And if I do respond, it says something. But if I respond too fast, then she's like, man, he's really eager. Maybe, I, you know, or if I take too long, and I'm like, there are 10 minutes texting my friends, like, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? And it's like, oh, he doesn't really love me at all, and, you know, and then we're not going to be together, and we're not going to have beautiful children, and all this stuff, and it's just going to be terrible. And so I'm like, what 
in the world do I do? And you've had situations like this as well. In the heat of the moment, you know, you respond and, and you're not sure how to respond and you overreact. Or you lose your temper. Or you say yes when you wish you had said no. Or you drop out when you wish you had stayed in. Or you went to art school when you really wanted to go to accounting school. Or you went to accounting school when you really wanted to go to art school. We all have these moments where we responded in a way and we look back and we reflect and we say, oh, I wish I hadn't responded in that way. Or we said no to something we wish we had said yes to. Or we turned down an invitation that we wish we had accepted in the end. Or we had an opportunity that we wish we had responded to differently. And so I have all this kind of going through my head of how in the world do I respond? And so the question is, so then Mark, what did you do? And how did you respond, right? So this is my response after I thought through it because I realized this was, you know, probably a big moment in my life. This is, this is my response. Ready? Is this for real? Question mark. Send. So loving, right? Imagine you pour out your heart, you know, and then someone's like, is this for real? Question mark. There's no emotion in text, right? So it's just, that's what comes up on the screen. I kid you not, this is the response I get back. No, stupid. This is her brother. She's in the bathroom. (sighs) If you learn nothing else today, don't profess your love over social media, okay? Do it in person. Do it in person. Do it in person. You never know what could go wrong. But that silly story tells us a very simple principle that you see all throughout your life, which is how you respond can impact your life. And in a moment, we're going to open up the scriptures, and Jesus is going to share what we're going to discover is a very ridiculous story. In fact, to the people that heard it originally, they would have laughed because it was so incredibly ridiculous, and yet Jesus takes this ridiculous story, and he turns it, and he teaches them something so incredibly foundational, so, so incredibly foundational about life. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open up to the book of Luke, chapter 14, verse 1. We're going we're gonna to backtrack a little bit, and we're going to get some context for the story before we open it up. So Luke chapter 14, verse 1, pull it out, thumb there if you have a device, however you need to get there, um, and we'll just open it up in just a second. Okay, verse 1, one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, okay, if, if you, Pharisee is a new word for you, a religious leader, um, you know, maybe you've had a friend and you've maybe heard the term religious police. Like if you were looking for someone to call the religious pe- police 2,000 years ago, it was the Pharisees. All they did was they just kind of made laws and followed the laws and enforced the laws, okay? They were just all about being good. It's like, what do you do for a living? Like, ah, I'm good, I'm, I'm good. Like that's just, the, the Pharisees, that's who they were, okay? So the religious police in a sort of way to summarize it, okay? So Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee and he was being carefully watched. And you wonder, like, why is it that when Jesus goes to someone's house, he's being carefully watched? And what I want to do is I want to give you a backtrack into the story of Jesus to see why he was being carefully watched. So in a moment, I'm going to actually take us back to one chapter, chapter 13, verse 10. And you're going to discover that Jesus has been in this situation before. And what he did is the reason that he's being carefully watched now. So we're going to go thir- verse 13, verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching. So again, Sabbath and Jesus together again in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She's been, she's been sick for a while. She's been hurting. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. I can resonate with this. This was about a month of my life, about a month ago. And so she just, she couldn't stand straight. You would just imagine, okay, I, I had to go to social events and I was walking like this. It's awkward. Everyone notices it. Everyone like, hey, remember that guy at the party? No, the guy who was bent over, like, oh yeah, okay. So you just imagine everybody has seen this woman. And the only thing they know about her for the last 18 years is she's been bent and she hasn't been able to straighten up. Okay, and so then he he put his hands on her. We're just going through the story quickly. And immediately she straightened up and praised God. Okay, if you were there, whether you're a church person or not, religious person or not, and you just saw some guy walk over a woman who's been sick for 18 years and she straightens up, what would be your response? You're like, wow, 
that's incredible, or like, did you just see that? Or I think something just, you know, like, you'd, you'd have some sort of theory, or you'd try to dismiss it, or something. But the religious leaders, the Pharisees, are there, and this is what they respond. This is their response, okay? Indignant, angry, frustrated, annoyed, that's indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath, okay? So they see this amazing miracle, and they're like, oh, this is a teaching moment. Hey, 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 everyone listen up. Don't come to be healed on this day, okay? You shouldn't have come today, okay? It's not a healing day. I can't believe that you tried to get healed today. Like, what's wrong with you, right? Like, it's just like, are you kidding me? And for some reason, they had this amazing thing happen, and their response is, you just, you just broke one of our rules. You're not supposed to heal people on the Sabbath. It's like, are you kidding me? Is that really your response in this moment? And they're just, and so then the story continues. The Lord answered him. This is Jesus talking to the religious people. You hypocrites. You hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? He's like, I know that your animals don't starve for a day. Even on the Sabbath, you feed them. And then he continues. He says, should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? He's like, how can this be your response to what you've just seen? Are you kidding me? Have you thought through this at all? And then this is my favorite part of this this passage. He says, when he had said this, all his opponents were humiliated. But the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. I just imagine the common folk who just kind of watch this and they're like, they get it. They're responding. They're celebrating. The religious people kind of interrupt and they're just like, no, no, Jesus, continue. And then Jesus is like, you hypocrites, stop. They're all like, hey, we're so glad, you know, because that was really annoying that these religious people would always stop these things. So then you, you fast forward back to Luke chapter 14, and now you understand why they're watching him so closely. So we go back to Luke chapter 14. One Sabbath, Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, and he's being carefully watched because they're angry at him because of what just happened. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Okay, so he walks into the religious leader's house on the Sabbath, and there's a sick person. Now, I always used to read this and be like, oh, okay, there's a sick person there. But historians say there wouldn't have normally been a sick person because the religious people saw being sick as being cursed by God. So they probably actually lured this sick person in. They're like, hey, can, hey, sick person, come here. Don't touch us, don't touch us. But can you just come here for a second? Just stand right here so when Jesus comes in, he sees you, right? Like they were trying to trap him again to trick him to try and see if he would heal again. And of course, what does Jesus do? Of course he heals him. So we keep going with the story. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They remain silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. And then he gives them the exact same lecture. He asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into the well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Two times, these religious people watched a miracle happen. And instead they get fixated on something that makes absolutely no sense and is totally pointless. And they miss the fact that God is in their presence. So the dinner continues, and it, it doesn't get really any better, and I wish we could go through all the details because it's, it's just, it's kind of hilarious. So if you're looking for something to read over the long weekend, this is the story. Because the next thing that happens with these good people whose job it is to be good, they start a fight over who should have the best seat in the house. Okay, just imagine, right? Like these people are supposed to be the mature adults, and, and they're just like, they start fighting over. So Jesus has a little lecture, and he's like, hey, don't fight over the seats, and, and he kind of gives them a little object lesson there. And then, and then dinner hasn't even started yet, okay? And it's already, so much has happened. And then it's like Jesus kind of sits down, and he just kind of like, as he's sitting down, he just kind of like looks around and he notices something. And then Jesus kind of becomes one of those dinner guests that you don't like. Okay, have you ever had someone who comes to your house and they kind of like, are you using that china? 
And are we really eating with this cutlery? And did you know that there's this, like, it's almost like, you know what, those people who critique, like, your meal, you're like, seriously, like, you're in my house and you're critiquing my hosting. But Jesus, in this moment, he kind of looks around and he's like, huh. So then Jesus just kind of, you know, talks to the host and he's like, can I just, can I just bring something up? And so that's kind of where we find the story. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, translation, let me teach you how to actually host because you're not doing it right. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends, those guys over there. Don't invite, uh, don't invite your brothers or sisters, those ones over there. Your relatives or your rich neighbors, those guys over there. Yeah, I noticed them, okay? And now you pause there and you're like, so is Jesus against us eating dinner with rich people or with our friends or with our relatives? Absolutely not. Jesus had dinner with them all the time. But Jesus in this moment noticed the reason why these people were invited to the dinner. And it tells us that in the next verse. He says, if you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. Jesus is basically saying to the host, he's like, listen, listen, listen. I know what's going on here, okay? I know you're being generous and you're throwing this nice meal and you invite all these people. But the real reason you did is because you're just hoping that they invite you back. And that's not generosity at all because generosity that expects something in return is not generosity. And so Jesus is like, I, I just need to pause you and I need to just have a little teaching lesson, a little object lesson at your dinner table and tell you that you've got this all wrong. And so then what did Jesus say? He says, let me, let me tell you what you should do. He said, when you give a banquet, this is the way you do it. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. To which those people are thinking, how in the world are we going to be blessed if we invite people that we believe are cursed by God? You know, what are we going to talk about with them? We have nothing in common, and they're not going to even invite us back to their house because they don't have a house, right? Like, like this is not a win-win situation, and yet this is exactly what Jesus says, and I think we can just pause here. This isn't even the parable yet, and we learn something incredibly powerful about following Jesus, that when we follow Jesus, we will constantly be brought opportunities to engage with people that we normally would not engage with. We may not even like at first, and we think they have nothing to offer us, but that's part of following Jesus, and he will always surprise us on that journey. So then you just imagine the people kind of thinking like, why in the world would we be blessed if we invited those people over for dinner? And then Jesus continues. He says, although they cannot repay you, they're like, obviously, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And basically this is this idea that Jesus believed in the scriptures. This is the narrative that they tell, and this is what we believe, that there's more to this life than the 60, 70, or 80 years that you have but that there's actually a resurrection where we actually have the opportunity to live eternity in relationship or out of relationship with God. And so Jesus is like, hey, just so you know, I mean, it may be hard following me, but I just want you to know that one day you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Just imagine, okay, you're at this dinner and it's gotten kind of awkward. Jesus kind of broke up a fight about who's going to get the best seat. And now he's talking to them about how to host better. And so they're just kind of looking for a way to quiet Jesus a little bit. And so it seems like someone kind of like resurrection of the righteous. We believe in a resurrection of the righteous. Let's see if we can change the subject a little bit. And so it seems like someone just kind of raises their glass and it's like they propose a toast in this moment to kind of, you know, let's, let's just turn the corner on this conversation and see if we can quiet Jesus for a moment. And this is what they say. Uh, uh, when one of those at the table with him, verse 15, when those, one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat in the feast in the kingdom of God. And one of the moments he's like, oh, the resurrection of the righteous, the big feast, like often as a metaphor, it was referred to as the feast in the kingdom of God. And he's like, hey, hey let's raise our glass to that because we're all going because we're the good people. So when God has the resurrection of the righteous, we must be righteous. We are going. And then in this moment, and then this moment, if they thought that this was going to quiet Jesus, it actually does the 
opposite. Instead of like, oh yeah, hey, we have something in common with you. Yeah, we're cool too. Jesus in this moment pauses as he always does when this topic comes up and he needs to reorientate the idea. Because anytime when you read the scriptures, you will discover anytime Jesus bumps into this idea that you can earn or deserve your way into heaven or earn or deserve your way into a relationship with God, he pauses and he reorientates the way people are thinking because it's not true. You see, this idea that good people go to heaven is an ancient idea. It's been around for so long. It started with this idea of appeasing the gods, and if you're good outways, you're bad. And we carry it so often. And I talk to so many church people who are like, yeah, you know, good people go to heaven, and good people are in relationship to God. And it's like, no, no, it's not, it's not even in the scriptures. And that's why Jesus was so incredibly passionate about pausing whenever the conversation went there and reorientating people's view. In fact, in this moment, you're like, well, what about the, like, Ten Commandments? Isn't that, like, you have to do good, and your good has to outweigh? Like, isn't that what it's about? It's like, no. Actually, that's not what the Ten Commandments are about. In fact, there's no mention with the Ten Commandments about our eternal destiny. It's not even there. In fact, the Ten Commandments are in the book of Exodus. In the entire book of Exodus, you will not find one mention of eternity in there at all. And you say, so what's the point of the Ten Commandments? It was a stro- social structure that was given to people who had been slaves who were now free. Of course, a lot of it still applies to us today because we are still free in Christ, and he's given us guidelines as to what this freedom can look like. But nowhere, nowhere, nowhere in the scriptures, and nowhere does God ever say that good people end up in relationship to me. It's not the story of scripture, and so Jesus needs to pause the conversation. But in this moment, Jesus doesn't pause the conversation and go on a rant. Jesus doesn't flip the table over and say, that's not true. How can you guys believe that? Instead, Jesus is like, can I tell you guys a story? Can I just tell you a story? Because there's something about narrative. There's something about a story that just draws people in, and they'll never forget it. And he tells this story that we're going to engage with in a second. Jesus replied, verse 16, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Okay, and we're going to discover in a minute that the certain man who's preparing the banquet was God, and the banquet was this feast in the kingdom of heaven. Okay? Now, the thing you have to understand about this story is we hear, okay, a guy was having a banquet, and it's like, okay, great, a party. No, in this world, you woke up early, you worked hard all day long, and you hope you had enough food to feed your family, and you went to bed. That was your existence six days a week. One day you rested on the Sabbath, and you redid that over and over and over again until you died. If someone was having a feast, this is like literally the highlight of your life. Someone was going to cook for you. They were going to cook good food for you. It was going to be a lot of fun. Your friends are going to be there. It took absolutely no work. This is like the, the climax of society in this time is when someone was throwing a party that you didn't have to pay for, that you could just be invited to. So all of a sudden, Jesus has their attention. He's like, hey, there's this guy who's throwing this big, big banquet. At that time, the banquet, at the, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, everything is now ready. They didn't have clocks back then. Uh, everything wasn't always on time. And so they just send a messenger out to say, hey, the food's all ready now. You guys can come and join the party. But they all like began to make excuses. I remember reading this as a kid and just thinking like, oh, these are, this, is, this is an interesting story. The first excuse is like, I, the, guy, the first said, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. I'm like, okay. He has to go to work, right? He's got some business to take care of. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. He's like, he also had some business dealings, you know, couldn't make it. Maybe we can find another day, you know. Uh, Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come, right? He's like, okay, maybe the social schedule is full. I don't know. Like, that's how I always read it as a kid. And then I would read the end of the story, which I'm going to fast forward you to a moment, and then we're going to re-go through the story again, okay? But I would read this as a kid, and I would, even as, as, a, as a young adult, I would read the story, and I would think, this is crazy. Because at the end of the story, Jesus says this, I tell you, because these people all rejected the invitation, they all seem to have valid excuses, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. And I used to read that, and I used to get so angry. I'd be like, 
if this is a story about who God is and it's his great banquet feast, how is it that just because someone had to go to work or someone had a relational commitment or, you know, some business to take care of, how is it that all of a sudden at the end he's just kind of like, well, then you can't come to my banquet? And I'm just like, that doesn't seem right. Like, I, I, I know people and I've had this experience, maybe you have as well, where, you know, someone's like, hey, do you think you can come to my party? It's happening Friday. And it's like, sorry, I have to work Friday. It's like, doesn't matter. I didn't like you anyways. And you're just like, whoa, whoa, okay. It's like, you're not my friend. And I'm like, what? I, I really wanted to come. It's just, I have to work. I have a mortgage to pay and all that. And you're just like, why, why are you losing? Like, like, why is this? And then I would read this story and I would think, seriously? God is like this too? Like, he just, like, people just couldn't make it for a valid reason. And then all of a sudden it's just like, well, the doors are closed, suckers. I was just like, seriously? Seriously? Is this, is this what God is like? And this happens to me. This isn't just a one-time thing. This happens to me all the time. Like, I'm reading my Bible and I come across something. I'm like, what? Like, did it just say that? And I, like, I'm just, you know, close it, reopen. Like, it's, it's there, and it's uncomfortable, and I don't really like it. And maybe you've had that experience. I'm sure you have, where you kind of read something in the Bible, and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm sure that, that's Old Testament stuff, or we don't follow that, right? Like, you're just trying to find an excuse. You're trying to, like, rationalize it. Maybe you just, you stopped reading that day. Maybe you stopped reading altogether. Maybe you, you know, you hit something, and you're just like, whoa. And you hit the unfollow button, and you've just, you've been coming to church, and you've been following your family, but you're just like, if I asked you, you're just like, dude, I'm just checked out. I don't know if I can follow God if it says that in the Bible. Can I just, can I just, can I just pause you for a second there? Whenever that happens, whenever that happens, whenever that happens, I want to give you something that has been incredibly helpful for me in my life. Circle it underline it, highlight it, but do not drop it. Pay attention to it. Because here's the thing that I've discovered, that most of us, we have parents who are probably 30 years older than us, and we often lose things in translation. They used to listen to music with things we played Frisbee with, right? Like, there are things that get lost in translation in 30 years. Imagine 2,000 years. And so in those moments, in those moments when you find something that you're just caught up on, I want you to pause, circle, highlight, underline, and say, I need to understand this better because there's maybe something that I'm not getting. And then you just email VJ, and he'll answer all your questions, okay? No, I'm just kidding. But, but so let me just show you how this panned out in this story in my life, okay? So, so I just, you know, I didn't like it. I was uncomfortable. I'm like, if this is what God is like, I don't know if I want to be in a relationship to him. And then what I discovered is that when I read historians, they're like, no, 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 you missed the point of the story. The, re the reasons that they gave were ridiculous. This is like when people were hearing the story that Jesus was telling, it was like a joke and they're waiting for the punchline. Like they're laughing the whole way through this story, like no way, no way, no way. And then like, oh. And that's exactly what happens in the story. And so I want to read you the story again, but I want to give you the historical perspective so now you reorientate your mind to see it in the way that Jesus told the story back then. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Everyone would just be like, are you serious? No way. Nobody would ever buy a field without seeing it first. It was a ridiculous excuse. You would go to the field, you'd walk the rows, you'd make sure every section was just as fertile. It was incredibly important to see a field before you bought it. This is like calling your friend and saying, hey man, do you want to hang out? And they're like, uh, uh, I, I gotta go to the barber shop. It's like, bro, you don't have any hair. You're bald. Like, like it's just, it's such a ridiculous excuse. And that's exactly what this is. It's just, it makes no sense. It's not thought through. It's just, it's just crazy. The second one is similar. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm, my, I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. It's like, you would never buy a yoke of oxen without trying them out. You'd try out each oxen individually, and then you'd put them all together and make sure they pulled evenly so that your fields would be straight and not crooked. Like, it was incredibly important that you did this before you bought it. This is like saying, hey, I, I can't make it to the party. I have to go and see that car I test drove and make sure it has an engine in it, right? It's like, are you kidding me? It's like, it's so ridiculous. And then the third one, this is my favorite, right? It's like, I can't come. I'm married. Do we have any married people in the room? Few, few married. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Have you ever turned down free food? 
No, it's, in fact, once you got married, there was another mouth to feed, right? It's like, how in the world do we do Like, why? It just makes no sense. And so everyone's hearing the story, and it's just like, what a bunch of jokers. Like, these guys said no to this epic feast because of these lame excuses. It makes absolutely no sense. It would resonate with nobody except as a joke. And in this moment, I want to give you a clue as to where Jesus is leaning that we already know that the banquet is reminiscent of heaven. And so then who are these characters who are ridiculously not thinking through their responses? It's the religious people. It's the religious leaders who constantly see these amazing things that Jesus is doing, and their response is not, wow, this woman just got healed. It's, it's today Saturday, because I don't think he's supposed to be doing that today. It's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. And Jesus is telling the story to be like, listen, you're the main characters in my story and I want you to see how ridiculous your response is to something that is so incredibly obvious. And then Jesus continues the story. He keeps going. The servant came back, reported this to his master. The owner of the house became angry, as you would be if a bald person told you they couldn't come because they had to get a haircut, right? Like, it's just, like, of course you'd be angry. It's like, are you kidding me? I just extended this amazing gift of gratitude, and, and they just rejected it. And so then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Jesus loves these people. And he's just like, to the religious leaders who hated them and thought those people are out because they've obviously done something bad to deserve all the things that have happened to them. And Jesus is like, those are the people that are getting into the banquet. So let's go invite them. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done. There's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads, the country lanes, and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Jesus is like, you know those Gentiles, the people that you don't think are any, anywhere even belong in our city? They actually can't even live here. They have to be out there. I'm inviting them to my banquet as well. And it really just depends on their response, not on what they've done. And then Jesus drops the point at the end of the story. He says, I tell you, and you know when Jesus says, I tell you, this is the bottom line of his story. Not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Jesus was using this as an object lesson to say to the religious pe people, are you serious? You say you love God. You say that your life is all about him, but you've fallen in love with rules and you're spiritually blind and you're missing the fact that God is in your presence and he's doing miraculous things and he's inviting you into a relationship with him and you're so caught up in the rules, you're missing out completely. The bottom line that Jesus was saying is you think the people in the story are ridiculous? He's like, you guys are ridiculous. You're missing it. You're missing it completely. And so basically what Jesus is maybe saying in this question that he's trying to draw out of these people is simply this question, is your response thought through? Is your response thought through? Is your response thought through? Through. And the amazing thing is if you fast forward in the story of scripture, what you discover is that later on Jesus died and rose again. And we actually discover that there are followers of Jesus who were Pharisees. They actually thought through their response and they're like, hey, I don't know, I don't know about all this stuff, but if someone can die, predict their resurrection and then do it, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to go with him. And so there were actually Pharisees and religious leaders who became Christians. They thought through their response in the end. And then as I think about it, I'm like, so this is what Jesus was challenging. Like, have you guys thought through your response? And then I start to think, because I have this really boring hobby, probably will sound like to most of you, of, of reading historical books or watching historical documentaries. And my wife thinks I'm really lame for doing this, but I just find it so fascinating, okay? So, so I watch history all the time, and the question that comes to my mind all the time is like, what were they thinking? How did they think that was a good idea? And why in the world did they start that war? And why did they decide to pick on them? I'm constantly looking at history and thinking, that was 
horrible. And who would respond that way? And the thing that always comes back to my mind is, what will my kids and what will my grandkids and what will my great-grandkids think when they look at my life? Will they think, what in the world was he thinking? How did he respond in that situation like that? Why in the world did he do that? And, you know, I just, I just can't help but wonder, you know, because it's so easy for us to look 2,000 years and say, those religious people were ridiculous. If they had just thought through their response, they would have got it. And yet I can't help but think, I wonder if all the responses that I have to Jesus are thought through. And you may be here today, and you may not even be a church person. You're like, well, I, I, I don't even know if I believe in God. And uh, Jesus, I mean, it seemed interesting, but I don't know if I follow him. And so like, I haven't really, you know, I don't really have a response. It's like, no, absolutely. In fact, everybody in this room has a response to Jesus. Some of you, it's like, I think he's a joke. I think he's not real. Others of you, it's like, I think he's the Lord of the world, and I want to follow him everywhere. But every single one of us has a response to Jesus. Whether to ignore or to follow is still a response. And what I want to ask you today is very simply this. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, is your response thought through? Is your response thought through? Is your response thought through? And what I want to do is I want to leave you with four areas that as a pastor, I see over and over and over again when I talk to Christians, when I talk to non-Christians, when I talk to I was a Christian and then I hit the unfollow button because of this, this, and that. These are the four areas, not all the areas, but four areas that I want to create bookmarks in your mind that when these things come up in your journey, that they kind of put up a red flag and realize, I actually should think through this response because there's something here that I may take a turn and I may regret later on. So let me just lay those out for you very, very quickly. Number one, something in the Bible, dot, dot, dot. I hear this all the time, right? Like, oh, I don't know, something in the Old Testament, and I read that, and, you know, it's kind of what we talked about earlier. It's just like, I just, I just couldn't follow Jesus after that. You know, it just, it kind of made me uncomfortable, or I didn't really like it, or I didn't really understand it, or it confused me. So I just kind of hit the unfollow button. I want to say this very carefully, but very clearly. You need to understand this. Our faith is not based on a book. Is the book foundational? Absolutely. Is it important? Absolutely. Does God speak through it? Absolutely. Is it God's word? Absolutely. But I want to be clear. Our faith is not based on a book. It's based on a resurrected Savior. It's the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. If on your journey, you're starting with the scriptures and you're kind of hitting speed bumps, I want to just, you need to backtrack that journey up a little bit and I need you to wrestle with Jesus. Was he real? Did he actually raise from the dead? How is it that the, all of world history has, seems to have revolved around this guy who was a carpenter who never went more than 30 miles away from his home? How is that possible? That's what I want your response to orientate around in the beginning. Is that true? Is that real? Wrestle with that first. Absolutely, you should wrestle with the scriptures, but just because you hit a, a speed bump in the scriptures, I don't want you to think that Jesus didn't raise from the dead and that that doesn't require response from every single one of us. Number two, Something I heard in church, something I read in the Bible that didn't seem fair, I don't think was fair, okay? And I, I want to suggest to you, I actually think the scriptures are very fair. I think the idea of grace, which uh, you'll talk about in a, f a few weeks, is incredibly fair. But I just want to draw you back a little bit because the fair piece comes up all the time. Christians, non-Christians, Christians come to me like, hey, someone so-and-so so said this, and I, yeah, I also don't think it's fair, and I, you know, I wrestle with it, and I get that. I get that. I've been there. Can I just tell you a quick story from my childhood? I was seven years old. I went to Christmas to visit my grandma, and all my cousins who were boys got trains, and I got a box of mints. It sucked. It wasn't fair. But nobody ever comes to me when I tell that story, and I tell it a lot because I'm really, really hurt about it, right? Like, like it's <laughs> been decades, but I'm, you know, I still remember it. Just because it didn't seem fair doesn't make it untrue. Just because it doesn't seem fair doesn't make it untrue. Whenever someone brings up the argument, well, I don't know about Christianity, I don't know about Jesus, that doesn't seem fair. It's just like, well, okay, that's, that's great and that's valid and I want to wrestle with you through that emotion and that thought and that whole process. But just because something doesn't seem or appear fair, it doesn't make it untrue. 
there are a lot of things in the world that we would just be denying that we actually know very much so are true. So make sure that that idea of fairness, you think through your response because that's one that often derails the train and it's not one that should. Another one. Well, I've met some Christians. I've known some Christians. I married a Christian or, you know, my parents are Christians. And so you, you, you had a bad experience with Christians. And trust me, I hear this all the time and I know it and I have too. And I just want to say, number one, I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry that someone who claimed to be following Jesus hurt you and didn't love you and didn't care for you. And I know that is so many people's thing. And I, I want to say this kind of, it's, it's kind of funny, but also very true. Listen, we've all had bad haircuts. We didn't stop going to barbers. We just found new ones. So just because one person said, you know, I'm a barber and cut hair and they, you know, butchered your haircut, you didn't just like stop growing your hair. Like all of us still go to barbers. We just found a new one. And so just because someone who claimed to be a follower of Christ gave you a terrible experience and left a bad taste in your mouth, it doesn't mean that that was Jesus. So make sure that that's not one of the things that we respond to when in reality Jesus is saying, don't respond to them who claim to be my followers. Respond to me. Respond to me. And then lastly, and this is, this is the one that I think um, may resonate with a lot of us. This idea that good people go. Good people go. I talk to so many people and they're just like, oh, I'm just, I'm just trying to do all the rules and I'm trying to follow it. And it's just so lifeless and it's so incredibly boring. And I don't know if I can ever measure up. And if God wants me to be good and to follow all these rules, like I just, I just don't know if I can be part of it. Can I, can I just remind you again? It's not in the scriptures. It's not the story of Jesus. You're like, so we're not supposed to be good? It's like, no, no, no. Absolutely, we're supposed to be good. But we don't get into heaven by being good. We get into heaven because God is a gracious God who loves us, and our response is goodness and love that overflows out of our heart. When you orientate those backwards, you miss the entire message of Jesus, and you end up with legalistic Christians who make everybody's life miserable. It's not the message of Jesus. So as you respond, as you go through life, you will have those speed bumps. You will have those areas where you have a chance to respond. And I want to pray with you right now that we would actually think through our response because Jesus is not a God who just wants us to make it on a whim or out of emotion, but he wants us to think through every response to him. Let me pray for you as the band comes up. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this parable and this reminder that as much as we can look back and see people who we think are ridiculous, that often we fall into the same category and that often we don't think through our responses. So I want to pray for all the kids right now, for anyone going back to university or high school who know that their responses on a daily basis are challenged. And I just pray that we would be known not as people who do things emotionally, people who do things because we've thought through our uh, responses. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. As you go from here, you have lots of opportunities uh, and lots of, of, of times where you get to respond to Jesus in the moment, um, in the mornings when you engage with scriptures, uh, as you wake up on a Sunday morning and wonder how you're going to get all these kids to church and how that's uh, possible at a 945 service. We have 11 and we struggle. So, um, but in all those moments, those are all, I mean, I think often we think of these massive uh, climax moments in our faith as responses to Jesus, um, but everything is a response to Jesus and an invitation to engage with him through a quick family prayer at the dinner table, uh, through engaging in conversation, even in the things we've talked about today, today at lunch. Those are all opportunities to respond to the Spirit's uh, prodding in our life, and we sang that song about Holy Spirit come. So my blessing for you today as you go is that you would be responding to Jesus in every moment, not just in the bad times, not just in the struggles, but in every moment you would see life as a response to your relationship with Jesus. So go in Jesus' name, be blessed, have a fantastic weekend. Thank you.